בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שהוא תורה, always great to be in Miami, ברוך השם. We, uh, we have our usual רפואה שלמה list is a little change because he's missing in action today, but בעזרת השם he'll show up Let's start with the רפואה שלמה list. בעזרת השם יש לי רפואה שלמה, there's actually also a um, couple of people supposed to mention. Also to Michel Koto, Yeshua Michael Ben Hadassa, Daniel Yeshua Ben Abraham, Ampara Balufe, Hersel Ben Meir, Shiba, Batsara, Magea. Magda, Magda, uh, Nicole Valmana, Michelle Valmana, Emily Valmana, Patricia Montero, uh, Ada Vasquez, Rebecca Guerrero, Melissa Norato, Sara Lea Batsara, Ruben Benrifka, Dalia Romero, uh, Lindsay Misters, Sara Bat Levana, Levana Bat Sara, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esriya, and Be'ezot Hashem, all of Am Yisrael uh, that I didn't mention, we all have Refuat Shema, Refuat HaNefesh, Refuat HaGuf. So, today we'll continue the series, we're up to Musar Pirkei Avot number 72. Uh, and we're actually also still continuing Parashat Lech Lecha, where uh, Hashem Barach is introducing us to the patriarch Avram Avinu. I did a blessing before. Um, and um, it's a very interesting avot, very interesting uh, Mishnah that we have here, uh, talking about a good name, the value of a good name. If there's anything that... Uh, we can all agree on, doesn't matter regardless of a person's background, it doesn't even matter of a religion. Uh, everyone knows that one thing that Avraham Avinu did have is a good name. He had a good name. So the value of a good name, I mean, that's, there's quite a bit that you can learn from Avraham Avinu. Uh, the question is, how do you get there? How do you get to a point of actually having such a good name? What's the value of a good name? So that's one of the things... This Mishnah is about, excuse me. But also, if you have any questions, we could go over some questions included in the Shiel. Uh, if anyone has any questions, go ahead. Oh, you came prepared today. Yeah. But in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 7, we see that uh, Shaul Amalek speaks to the prophet Samuel. Uh-huh. But he's already dead in some sort of seance. If I'm not mistaken, um, speaking to the dead is a punishment of Karet. Okay. 
But my question is, how then does Samuel the prophet inform him that the next day Saul will be with him in Shamayim during the seances? Okay. What else? We're a while away, but okay. We're a while away. We're almost two months away, a month and a half away. Okay, next. Anyone else have any questions? Online, do you have any questions? Not yet. Nothing yet? Okay, set up. If anybody has any questions along the way, we'll talk about it. Okay, so. Hashem. Hashem's fatay tiftach ofi agiti latecha. Um. The uh, main thing that everyone knows about uh, Avraham Avinu, we learn in this parasha, we're introduced to him when he's 75, but the Midrash starts Avraham Avinu Mamash at birth, and uh, the uh, Midrash tells us that Nimrod Arasha who uh, yesterday we learned that his real name was Amrafil, um, heard from his necromancers that there's a person that's going to uh, be born, similar to a story like Paro and Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a person that's going to be born, it's going to take him down, and he uh, wants to kill every baby that's born. And Terach, the uh, father of Avraham Avinu, also had another child from... Uh, uh, one of his servants, and he gave that child, even though he was one of the employees of Nimrod, he uh, didn't want to give his own son from his uh, first wife. He wanted to give a different child to Nimrod. Uh, but this gave Terach an opportunity to hide Avram Avinu. So when people ask, how is it that Terach, at the end of last week's parashat, at the end of parashat Noach, we learn a big secret. We learn a big secret about Terach. And that is that Terach, his name is mentioned twice in a row. Uh, twice in a row in a parasha. And yesterday we mentioned in uh, chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the chronicles of Terach. Terach begot Avram, Nahor, and Haran. Um, and it's a, it seems like a very simple unimportant, if you will, type of verse. But Chazal teaches us that every time there's a name in the Torah that's repeated twice, it carries huge significance. What's the significance? It means that that person merited Olam Abba. That person has a share of Olam Abba. Now, why is this so important here? Many people in the Torah have Olam Abba. Moshe Rabbeinu Olam Abba, Avraham Avinu has Olam Abba. Oh, many people have Olam Abba. What's so, such, such a big deal? That Terach, out of all the people in the Torah, has Olam Abba. Because one of the things we're going to learn from the Midrash and Ma'am Loez and Midrash Agadol and, and, and several Midrash Chaba, uh, several other Midrashim about the background of Avraham Avinu's childhood is that the famous story of when Avraham, after he discovered Hashem, came out of the uh, the uh, 
cave. He saw that there was a sun, and he thought the sun was God. Because he said there had to be a God. And then he saw the sun go down. He saw it was replaced by the moon. So the moon must be stronger. So he thought that the moon was God. So he started praying to the moon. And then he saw eventually it changed again. So then he started doing tshuva. He's like, oh, it's not God. So maybe it's the sky. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. And then eventually the Midrash says that Hashem Barach peeked in. The Baal Abayit, the owner, peeked in and says, you looking for me? Peeked in and told Abraham Avinu, you looking for me? I'm here. I'm God. And that's where he met God. He was only three years old. From his own common sense, Alvayalenu common sense like that, his own common sense at three years old, he discovered God. But then he goes home, only to find his father has a Walmart. But he only has one product. Idols. He has a Walmart, only of idols. That's what he sells. He sells idols. Nimrod Rasha made himself into an idol, but he's also making some money on the side, sell some other idols, little idols. I'm the big idol, everybody else is the other idols. He takes a piece off of uh, Terach's business. So Avraham comes home, he discovered the real God, the only God, and he sees his father selling the shtuyot, this garbage. Now his father doesn't know that he, what, what his son just went through or anything like that. He puts him in charge of the store. And Avram destroys all of the idols. Destroys all of the idols. His father comes home. He sees this Walmart is destroyed. Millions of dollars are in the garbage. He says, what happened? He says, you see, one of your customers came and gave a, a sacrifice to the small idol that you have here. You see the small idol over there? He goes, yeah, it's broken into 50 million pieces. He goes, yeah, that one got a, uh, a sacrifice. She brought something, a dish, some pasta, some... Uh, uh, Fettuccine Alfredo, some you know, some stuff, some lasagna. She was Italian. She gave him some uh, some good stuff. But then the big idol was a little bigger than him. Say, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's not for you. It's for me. So he slapped him in the face. The small idol started fighting with, started cursing him out. So the big idol, the biggest one in the shop, says, hey, you guys are fighting about nothing. It's mine. All the sacrifices are mine. I'm bigger than everybody. They all started fighting. They all started fighting. Everything broke. Three years old. That's why I said Alvayanenu, meaning uh, wish on us to have common sense like this. His father, he doesn't find this so funny. Just come on, man. What'd you do? What'd you do, my woman? What millions of dollars destroyed? Millions of dollars just destroyed my story. Destroyed my idols. They don't do stuff like that. They can't move. They can't eat. They can't talk. They can't see. They can't hear. And Avraham Avinu says to his father, Terach, your ears should listen to your mouth. Why do you worship them if they can't see and they can't hear and they can't speak and they can't do nothing? Why are you worshiping them? Avraham Avinu was smart. Problem is, his father liked so, liked money. He liked money a lot, so he didn't like this whole thing so much. He didn't like this whole thing so much. He brought his own son to Nimrod. Nimrod said to Avraham Avinu, Avraham, either you jump, either you start worshiping me, I'm God, 
I'm going to throw you in a fire. He goes, what God? What kind of God are you? Last week you had a stomach ache. A week before that your back hurt. Right now you can't, you need glasses. What kind of God are you? You're not God. I'll jump into the fire myself. He jumps into the fire. The people that were supposed to take him to the fire, they got close to the fire, they got burned themselves. Avraham Avinu? No questions asked. Jumps into the fire. He didn't have a second thought like us every other day. If we don't have enough parasah, we're already questioning God. Every other day we have a little cold, we're already questioning God. We have a little problem, we're questioning God. Why you do this? Why did you do this? We always ask Hashem questions. We don't have any answers for Him. We only have questions. Avraham Avinu, they told, listen, either pray to me I'm God or I'm going to kill you. He says, oh, don't kill me. I'm going to jump in the fire myself. Better go into a fire than chash v'shalom be a rasha in Hashem's eyes. Now the angels at this milliseconds that this is all happening run to Hashem and tell him, Hashem, let us save the only believer in you in the world right now that's known in this whole section other than Shem, the son of Noach, who his name is also Malki Tzedek. Uh, we learn in this parasha. Other than that, there's really no monotheism in the world. The vast majority of people are idol worshippers. Similar to today, but even more so. Similar to today, but even more so. So the angels come to Hashem and they beg Hashem, please, Hashem, let us save Avram. Hashem says, no, don't save him. Just like he is one there, I am one up here. I'm going to save him. And Hashem himself saves Avraham Avinu. And people are seeing that now this Avraham that's supposed to be burning in a fire and screaming and yelling for pain, they see an image inside the fire next to another image. Now there's two images of someone walking inside the fire, laughing, enjoying, making fun of the whole thing. After a while, Nimod doesn't find this so funny. He says, you're ruining my whole business here. Everybody's going to start leaving my store, go to my competition. Get him out of the fire. Get him out of the fire. Avraham gets out of the fire. He says, Avraham, just get away. Just go away. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. It doesn't make a difference to me. In the meanwhile, listen, since this was pretty cool, whatever you just did here, take my son with you. Eliezer. His son says to his father, he goes, I'm going to be the next king. He goes, it's better you be a slave with him than a king with me. And Eliezer became his Talmid Chacham, became his Talmid, his Chabut of Abraham Avinu. The rest of his life got to a point of having Ruach HaKodesh went to Gan Eden alive. Yeah. But when he went into the fire, he wasn't three years older than now, right? Some say a little older. Some say a little older, some say three, some say six, some say nine. But nonetheless, still very, very much younger than what we we meet here in this parasha. This parasha, we meet Avraham at 75. So this is well, well before that. So now you have a situation where Avraham has earned himself a name. Avraham has earned himself a name and people are following him. Well, see, oh, listen, it's not uh, a small deal here. This guy just jumped into a fire. No one even threw him in there. Came out of there alive after he's there for a while. 
Not like there for like two minutes, two, you know, like it's a magic trick. He was there for a couple of days. So now he comes out. People start following him. His father included. His father, Terach, Chatanu Avinu Pashanu, started doing Shubha. He said, this is not normal. Whatever happened to him at the cave, whatever happened over there, whatever he's saying, has to be something. Terach starts doing tshuva. Terach starts doing tshuva. And now people are following Avraham Avinu. And that's why in this parasha, on the fifth birth, uh, fifth verse from the parasha, chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Avraham took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their wealth that they had amassed, and the souls they made in Haran. What do you mean the souls they made in Haran? All of the people, they converted. The Midrash, and also Avot de Rabbi Natan, says anytime you get somebody to convert from a different religion to Judaism, idol worship to Judaism, or even a Jew, even a Jew that was secular, was in essence considered an enemy of Hashem, an enemy of God. Unfortunately, when you are violating Shabbat on a regular basis, you're considered an enemy of Hashem. So when you go out there and you encourage this person to become a religious Jew, either by giving him a CD or showing him a lecture or bringing him to a lecture, whatever way you did it, you somehow, it cost you one dollar, to get the guy to do tshuva. He didn't even cost you anything. You just brought him to a lecture. It was free. You were going there anyway. He did tshuva because of you. He started because of you. The Midrash and Avot Rabbi Natan says, Hashem Itbar says, you created him. It's like you created a soul. You were God. So here is one of the sources. All of the people that Avram and Sarah converted, she converted the women, he converted the men, they all became monotheistic, it wasn't Judaism like we have today, it says they created those souls, so that's why it says they brought the souls, souls they made in Haran means they brought those souls, meaning all the souls they created, all the people that helped them do tshuva, they brought all of them with him. So Avram made a big name for himself, and Terach, was one of those souls. Terach was one of those people that went with him. Why is this so important to start off the whole lecture with? Because again, we hear later on in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy, and throughout all of the Torah, anytime Shabbat is mentioned throughout all of the Torah, 12 times in the Torah, the punishment of Shabbat is mentioned. But every single time it's mentioned, right next to it is the sin of idol worship. The sin of idol worship is considered in Hashem's eyes the same level as Chilul Shabbat. Someone that drives on Shabbat, not to the hospital, but just drives to the mall, drives to the Beknesset, is considered in Hashem's eyes the same thing as someone that prays to Buddha, someone that prays to J.C. Penny, someone that is just an idol worshiper of some kind. And according to the Torah, has no share of the world to come. Has no Olam Abba. So now we see Terach was one of those people. Not only was he an idol worshiper, he sold the idol. He was a Machtiya Rabim. He caused other people to sin. 
But last week's Parashat Noach is giving us a very important hint. Tshuva is always available as long as you're still alive. If you're still in this world, you have tshuva. Once you finish this world, no more tshuva. So, what do we learn this from? We learn this from his name. We learn this from his name in last week's parasha. His name is mentioned twice in a row. Terach, Terach. And Chazal tells anyone that uh, his name is mentioned twice in a row in the Torah, that means he has Olam Abba. That means his tshuva was accepted. Despite him making sins, despite him making a lot of problems, his tshuva was accepted. So that's already one thing that we see as a significance of a name. But even more so than that, we see that there is another person in the Torah, in the same parasha, that any time you mention his name, he doesn't exactly have the best uh, description. He doesn't exactly get the best compliments. And who is that? Lot. Lot is his is, uh, nephew. Lot followed Avraham as well. But Lot liked money. He liked money a lot. So after they came back from Egypt, Lot and Avraham both had their own companies. Bunch of sheep, cows, deer, this, that. They had a huge corporations. They didn't want to step on each other's toes. Lot, especially since he wasn't exactly the most honest person in the world. So it says in uh, chapter 13, verse, uh, verse 8. So Avram says to Lot, Please, let there not be strife between me and you, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are kinsmen, we're family, let's not fight, let's not our, let our employees fight. They were fighting over land, this, that. No, it's our water. No, this is our water. We were here first. We were there. They were fighting. So Avama says, for what? Why are we fighting? There's no point. We're family. It's not all the land before you, meaning you can have the whole world. After the Mabul, after the flood, the, land, the world was, was separated into three. One-third, Shem. One-third, Cham. One-third, Yefit. So three sections. Look how big the world is, he says to him. Pick whatever you want. But he says something very interesting here. Please, separate from me. If you go left, then I will go right. And if you go right, then I will go left. So Chazal tells us from here that even though Avraham was being very cordial and was being very proper, and very correct, and a big tzaddik, the reality was telling Lot, go away. Because your behavior is unacceptable. Wherever you are going to be, I'm going to go somewhere else. Why? You like money too much. You're not worried about your good name. You're not worried about you're not worried about anything like that. You're worried about your money. You're worried about your pockets. Now why is it so bad to like money so much. Why is it so bad to like money so much? So, 
the Mishnah in Avot that we're going to learn says the following. It says, Dalet Yud Zayin. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shloshla Ktarim Em Keter Torah, Keter Keuna, Keter Malchut, Keter Shem Tov, Ole Al Gabehen. So it says, Rabbi Shimon says, this is, we're talking about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The one that wrote the Zohar and the one that we have all the mystical parts of the Torah, many of them that are in the Zohar are from Rabbi Shimon. And he says the following, there are three crowns. Now we could have easily counted the amount of crowns that are about to be mentioned, but it specifies that there are three crowns. Just to make sure that we realize there's nothing else. There are three crowns. There's no fourth crown. There's no fifth crown. There's no like, oh yeah, what about the uh, World Series crown? What about the uh, Queen of England's crown? What about the uh, Modern Society's crown? What about nothing? There's three crowns. That's it. There are three crowns. The crown of Torah. The crown of Kehuna, which is the priesthood for the Kohen Gadol, And the crown of kingship for the king. King that's selected by Hashem, not king that's a politician. But the crown of a good name surpasses all of them. So as our rabbis teach us, first we have to learn the background of who we are dealing with. Now, before we listen, now even though we've already learned in Mishnah 3 4, which was, uh, we went over maybe about three months ago, uh, uh, from Rabbi Shimon already, let's get reintroduced to Rabbi Shimon and the famous story of Rabbi Shimon Bayuchai. Who is Rabbi Shimon Bayuchai? Now, in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 34 and 33, actually, 33 uh, B and 30, 34 A. It says a very interesting story of the background of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was uh, uh, with his uh, couple of his uh, chavutat and uh, with Rabbi Yehuda and uh, Rabbi Yossi. And they're all talking. They're all talking. And there's a uh, Yudah ben Gerim. Yudah ben Gerim was a student. And he's called Yudah ben Gerim because he was, his name was Yudah. And he was, son, he was a son of converts. He was uh, sitting there listening to the Igdolim, listening to the big rabbis talk. Now, the reason why this is also mentioned and why I'm actually mentioning this is because usually the biggest problems in Judaism, whether it be today, yesterday, the day before, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, whenever, always starts with the students. Always starts with the students. Not the teachers. It's the students. Students, somehow, some way, lose their mind. They start causing problems. You see, a lot of times there are 
different things that happen in the world. And the media loves a juicy story. The, most, the juiciest stories are stories against rabbis. So sometimes you can hear a big rabbi goes down, he was caught in some type of ring of this thing or that thing, they did this, they did this business illegally, they did that business illegally, or they uh, uh, gave money to some government official, and it's a bribe, and ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. The reality, many times, not all the time, many times is quite different than what it says on the news. Quite different than what it says on the news, but you're never going to know it as a person that's watching the news. You're only going to know it if you're there. You're only going to know it if you know the rabbi. You're only going to know it if you know actually what really happened. What they're not going to tell you on TV. TV is there to sell ratings. TV is part of the whole propaganda. So many times you see these rabbis, big stories, a lot of balagan happens, like something that happened a few years ago, a big famous rabbi, uh, Rabbi Pinto, he uh, was mixed up in a whole situation where he was accused of bribery uh, of uh, some uh, Israeli officials. Long story short, the whole thing is fake. The whole thing, the whole accusation is complete nonsense. Money exchanged hands and things like that, but this was not what the media says. This is not what the politicians say. This is not what the cops said. This is all because of one Rasha, one Rasha that was a student of his initially that I know. I know the guy. I used to go to Shurim many years ago. And I know the guy. The guy had an ego right next to him. It was him and his ego was next to him. And the rabbi liked him. He said, he's a nice kid. He's doing chuba, ta, ta, ta. You know what? Come, be my one of my employees. Little by little, he woke, woke up, woke up, woke up, gave him more money, gave him more panasa, gave him this, build him up, build him up, build him up. Eventually, the guy became like his second in command. Not that he knows Torah. He doesn't know anything. But he became second in command. He's like, uh, he was like the doorman. You want to go see the rabbi? You have to go through him. Now, all the big rabbis have somebody there. Unfortunately, sometimes those somebodies are shine. Many times they're shine, And all big rabbis, unfortunately, even from the days of the Gemara, even from the days of the Tanakh, we have stories like this. Elisha, the prophet, his second in command was Gechazi. Gechazi knew the entire Torah. It was a big Rasha. Big Rasha, Gemara in Sanhedrin says, he has no Olam Abba. Why? The, uh, after Elisha convinced the king that Hashem Bach runs the world and performs miracles and so on and so forth. The king wanted to convert to Judaism. The king offered Elisha money, whatever he wants, because he healed him. He, healed, he had a big uh, disease, he healed him. Elisha says, no, no, I don't do this for money. I don't do this, I do this for Kiddush Hashem. I do this to sanctify Hashem's name. And he leaves. The king was even more amazed about the fact that Elisha didn't want all the money in the world. Then the miracle. The miracle was amazing. The fact that you performed the miracle and you don't want to get money for it? it doesn't exist in the world. He says, I'm going to convert. I want to be a Jew. He wanted to be a Jew. So he's walking away. Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. Gehazi was eating his heart out. He goes, we just had a chance to make bank. 
We just had a chance to make millions of dollars over this king. Now my Ishavi is too much of a tzaddik. Let's make a few dollars. What do I care? So he goes and he sneaks back to the king. He says, you know, king, you know, my master, he's a tzaddik. He's not going to ask you for money to your face. He's not going to take any presents. But I know him. I know. He needs a few new suits. He needs a few dollars. He needs a few this. He didn't say any of that. But Gehazi wanted to keep it. Wanted to make it. His Yetzirah was telling him, listen, take a few million dollars, we're going to build a yeshiva. Yetzirah will convince you that all the, all the money you're going to get, you're going to do mitzvot with it. Once you get the money, it's a different story. But before you get the money, you're going to be a tzaddik, you're going to build a yeshiva, you're going to do kiruv. Everybody always tells me, oh, you know what? If Hashem gave me a lot of money, I'll build yeshivot, I'll sponsor CDs, I'll build kiruv organizations. Yeah? Why isn't He giving it to you then? Why isn't He giving it to you? If you really... Hashem knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart. You can't lie to Hashem. If you were really going to build yeshivot, kiruv organizations, and the only reason you want a lot of money is to help Am Yisrael do tshuva, how come He's not giving it to you? Because He knows once you have it, Yetzirah changes. Yetzirah changes. All of a sudden you don't want it. All of a sudden you spend all the money on the house. All of a sudden you spend the money on the car. All of a sudden, you have a few investments to take care of. All of a sudden, you don't have time. So Gehazi asked for a few dollars. The king said, okay, I'll give you the money. No problem. But it cooled him off. Cooled him off. He goes, okay, maybe this is about the money. So Gemara says that when Elisha found out that the king didn't want to convert because of Gehazi, he cursed him. He says, all the diseases that he had, you and your descendants are going to have until eternity. He cursed them forever. He goes, why? You just ruined the conversion. You just ruined somebody from becoming a Jew. You, you have lost your right to live. So a lot of these people that think they're doing a chesed by discouraging people from converting to Judaism or by even worse, going against converts already, people that have already converted and they go against them, they should actually learn about the story of Gehazi. And the outcome of Gehazi is that the Gemara says, he has no Olam Abba. When, some, when the Gemara says, he has, a person doesn't have Olam Abba, it doesn't mean he just disappear. It means a lot of terrible things. So, here we have a situation where a person lost of his Olam Abba simply because of money. Simply because of money. Now, Yehuda ben Girin, son of converts, he was a student. He was a student. And unfortunately, the student didn't know how to control his mouth. So he heard what was happening in his conversation, and he told a few friends, he told a few family members. Some say he meant bad, some say he meant well, doesn't really make a difference. In the laws of Lashon Ra, which everybody should learn it, the Chafetz Chaim, the laws of Lashon Ra say it doesn't make a difference if it's true or not. It's still Lashon Ra. You can't go and listen to somebody's conversation and go tell somebody else about it. Hey, did you hear? They were talking about they're making a deal for $2 million. Hey, did you hear? He's about to leave his job. Hey, did you hear? She's cheating on her husband. Hey, did you hear? He's uh, doing You can't. You can't start talking about people. It doesn't matter if it's true. It's Lashon Hara. 
What happened in this story with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Yehuda, which we learned about yesterday, good shiur in Aventur we had, and Rabbi Yosia sitting over there and they're talking. And Rabbi Yehuda had a good midah. He had a way of looking at everything in a positive way. He says, look at the admirable deeds, the good things of this nation. What nation? The Romans. Even though the Romans were wicked. He says, they did some things that are good. They did some things that are good. What did they do? They modernized society. They built rivers. They built uh, uh, different um, places, uh, bathhouses. They built marketplaces. They did some, you know, that the Jews can benefit out of these marketplaces. You go to the marketplace, you can buy food. You don't have to, you know, not know where to go. Bathhouses, this is good for hygiene, less disease. Bridges, you can go from place to place. This is good for society. So, Rabbi Yossi heard what Rabbi Yudah says. He didn't say nothing. Comment. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wasn't having it. Wasn't having it. Because everything these Romans did, they didn't do because of Hashem. They did because of themselves. They did because of themselves. The bathhouses, the uh, marketplaces, the bridges are all for them to make money. The marketplaces is where they're going to have their prostitution. That's where they're going to have their prostitutes. The uh, bathhouses is in order to beautify their bodies. So even more so for their own vanity. And the bridges is in order to tax the people. Take more money that they don't deserve. Like every time I come here, they have to pay tolls for some highway for no reason whatsoever. Nothing happens on this highway, but you have to pay a toll. The turnpike. Nothing happens. You just go on the road, you have to pay a toll for no reason. It's not like you're changing something. They even give you, a, I don't know, some gardens you're looking at to enjoy. Nothing happens. You're on the road, all of a sudden, dick, they took money from you for no reason. That's the Romans. That's the Romans. They said they made the bridges so they could make money from people. That's why they made bridges. They didn't make bridges because they care that you're going to go to the mountains to enjoy yourself with your family. They didn't make these tolls because these bridges because they care for you to go make money in different countries and do trades. No, just so they can make money from you. It's all about money. So Yudah ben Gerim, this little Talmid, naive, naive, didn't know how to control his mouth. He didn't realize the conversations of the Chachamim stays there. You don't want to go tell people about it. If it's Divrei Torah, it's one thing. Publicize Divrei Torah. Conversations of the Chachamim can't talk about people. They let you sit there. They let you sit there simply because they trusted you. Now you went and talked about it with somebody else, automatically you ruined all trust. That's why the Gemara says you want a secret. To stay a secret, don't even tell it to yourself. Forget about don't tell it to one person or two people or three people or four people. Don't even repeat it to yourself. As soon as you repeat it to yourself, somebody else is going to hear it. And it's automatically not a secret anymore. There's no secrets anymore. So Yehuda ben Gerim went and told a few associates of his, 
how the game plays eventually gets to the Roman Empire they pass a decree they say Rabbi Yossi that didn't say anything at all throw him out he didn't defend us he didn't defend the Roman Empire throw him out of here they throw him into a, threw him out of the country he went to Tsipoli, which ended up becoming Yavne, where they built Yavne, where all the Chachamim eventually went there. Rabbi Yehuda, that actually complimented us, from now on we're making a law, anytime there's a speech, he's the first one to speak. We want to hear from him first. We want to hear from him first. Before anybody else, no one's allowed to speak before him. He gave him a right. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that spoke against us, Death penalty. Death penalty. So now, you have yourself a serious problem. Abishimon Bar Yochai, one of the most important Chachamim in history, is, has the Roman Empire trying to kill him. So him and his son are hiding in the yeshiva. And every day, his wife sends a piece of bread and some water for them to eat and drink, but they're sleeping, they're learning, they're all the way there, they're not leaving. After a while, the Romans are getting a little bit more feisty. It's not, it's not possible. Where did he go? Now we're putting out $10,000, whoever gives us uh, his, uh, his head. That wasn't enough, $100,000. That was enough, a million dollars. Like they had on uh, Osama bin Laden, I don't know, twenty million dollars. Whoever brings the head, I don't think anybody ever got paid by the end. And whoever got paid, I think they killed him, because the six people that actually supposedly killed Osama bin Laden, they all died. They survived a million and a half battles. They survived. There were special forces. These people survived battle after battle after battle. Every bullet that ever invented was shot at them. They survived it. Missiles survived it. Bombs survived it. Everything survived it. A small little flight. All of a sudden, everyone died. How? $20 million didn't want to clear. Or maybe didn't kill uh, Obama. Osama. So anyway, 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 the uh, Romans are sending out Bounty hunters to catch Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son. Rabbi Eliezer uh, run out of the town. They go to a uh, cave and they hide in the cave. Now, the cave was a regular cave. There's no, no, no food, there's no water, no nothing. Hashem miraculously makes miracles. What's the miracle? He makes a carob tree grow Immediately. Now, even though carobs themselves are not exactly the tastiest food in the world, none of us are going to survive a day of eating carobs. But it takes 70 years for a carob tree to bear fruit. Hashem made it all happen in one day. And all of a sudden, a river of water came down, fresh water. So now they have all the food they need, this carob tree. All the water they need. They have their outfits, they have their Torah. That's it. They would, they made holes in the ground. They'd sit in the holes the whole day, naked. So they put their clothes, they hung their clothes so their clothes don't get ruined because they figured they're going to be in this cave for a while. 
So they only want to wear their clothes once a week on Shabbat. Other than that, or, or when they're praying, other than that, they were in the holes naked. But they're covered by the sand. And they learned Torah, and then the Malachim, the angels came down, they started teaching them Torah, and the Gemara talks about how he was there for the next 12 years. And the Chachamim, and the Zohar Kadosh says that this is the time of when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote the Zohar. That's when he wrote the Zohar. So even though it, something bad happened, Lashon Ara caused the, the Romans to chase after Rabbi Shimon, Hashem made good out of it. Just like Rabbi Akiva says in the Gemara Masechet Bahot, page 63, where he says, Kod David Rachamana, Tav David. Anything that the merciful one does, always for the good. So it looks bad that the Romans are trying to chase one of the giants of the generation. Looks terrible. Looks terrible that he has to be in a uh, cave for 12 years. Actually, ended up being 13 years. 13 years you're in a cave eating carobs, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Imagine that. We can't eat carobs for one day, for one meal. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he's eating carobs, him and his son. What's the good? Over there, the angels went and taught him, and that's where he actually wrote the Zohar Kadosh. Now, the uh, name that he built for himself, whatever he had before this was huge. Whatever what he had after, put everything he had before, and made it insignificant. Made it insignificant. One of his family relatives sees him after they come out of the cave. The first time they came out of the cave, they were too holy. Hashem put him back in the cave for another year. The story goes where they went out of the cave after 12 years. They saw people dealing with mundane businesses. Regular stuff. They're just working. Religious people. There's rarely any non-religious people in those times. And they, but they see people dealing with their jobs. Rabbi Shimon and his son, Rabbi Eliezer, say, how could they waste their time of Torah working? And because of their, how upset they were that people were, in their eyes, wasting time, wasting Torah time, Hashem, anything they looked at was either burned or frozen or disappeared. Hashem just removed it from the face of the earth. So a bat call, a heavenly voice came from Shemaim and said, what did you guys come out here to destroy my world? Go back in the cave. Go back in the cave. So they went back in the cave. After a year, they called. Hashem took away a little bit of their Kedusha because they were too holy for this world. And they came out. Now, one of the family members of Rabbi Shimon, the Gemara says, gave him a massage was after the, you know, to make him feel better, but he saw that his body from sitting in sand for so many years, Mamash had deep cuts inside his body that were not scars, beyond scars. Mamash was like engravings inside his skin. And he started crying, and the tears went inside the cracks, and it started burning Rabbi Shimon. So he started crying even more. He says, I'm sorry for seeing you like this. Rabbi Shimon says, you're married that you see me like this. It's a merit for you to see me like, like this. Why? Because the last time you saw me, before I had these scars and these wounds and these engravings on my skin, I know some Torah. Now I know Torah that's tremendous. Mahal says before he was in the cave, anytime he would ask his family member a question, his family member would give him 
10 different answers. Now, anytime his family member would ask him a question after this uh, cave, Rabbi Shimon would give him 24 answers. So meaning he surpassed them in Torah. So here we see that uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai got to a very high level. But now going back to, so he got to a big name. He got to a significant name. But people need to understand that everything in the world has consequences. Even someone that says Lashon even if he didn't mean it. So this Yehuda ben Gerim in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 34a, one day runs into Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon runs into him. Rabbi Shimon looks at him. He goes, this one is still in the world, meaning you're still alive? Hashem still left you in the world? After the pain you've caused me, I will have to, okay, good came out of it, but it's not because of you. It's not because of your Lashon HaRa. Hashem made good out of it, but you were a vehicle of bad. You said Lashon HaRa. Rabbi Shimon was so holy, he looked at him, and Hashem killed him. Hashem made the guy turn into bones. Turn into nothing. So, this happened several times in the Torah, where we talk about anytime somebody's mentioned by name, they could either revive the dead, or kill the living. But it's not that he killed him himself, it's Mamash that Hashem Barach saw the, that he is, in pain as a result of seeing this person, he removes him from the world. If he's in pain from any experience, he ends the experience. Such is the value of a good name. And how do you get this good name? So this very same Rabbi Shimon tells us, how do you get this good name? What do you, what do you have to do? So he says there's three shloshak tarim. Shloshak tarim, there are three crowns. There are three crowns that you can aspire for in this world. So first and foremost, it's reminding us that there are three crowns and no more. So no one can say, listen, it's, uh, you know, there's now, we have new rules, it's modern society, everyone has to have an opportunity to win, let's give more people crowns, let's not make it only three crowns, let's give everybody a crown. You know, like today, you have people go to games, everybody wins, there's no losers. In kids, little league baseball or football or whatever it is, every the the fiftieth place team gets a trophy too. All the losers get trophies the same way as the winners. So what happens? No one wants to try anymore. So we have a generation of losers. This is the reason why corporate America right now is suffering drastically, and they're forced to outsource a lot of their employment to other countries. Because the only good workers you could really find for manufacturing or in general for labor, you have to go to different countries. Here in America, no one wants to work. No one wants to work. Low-level employees work. High-level employees, no one wants to work. Everyone, no, no, I'll delegate to somebody else. Always have some people that you tell them, listen, can you do this? Can you do this? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. What do they do? They tell somebody else to do it. But they want the credit for it. Hey, can you finish this? Uh, can you finish this? Yeah, yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Oh, so you're thinking as a boss. You're thinking, oh, he's got it taken care of. What does he do? He goes give it to somebody else. So you ask him two, three, four, five days later. No, so what happened with uh, the project? Oh, let me check. What do you mean? Didn't, weren't you the one that did it? Let me, let me check. I'll be right back to you. And he finds out somebody else 
that he gave the job to, he also forgot, he gave it to somebody else. And he gave it to somebody else. He gave it to somebody else. Who got it? Some guy in India that no one knows. And me skin, the guy was sick. So now it's a chain of command. Everybody's blaming this guy. No, he told this guy, he told that guy, he told this, da, 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 da. And the boss, what is he going to do? He's going to fire 500 people? He can't do anything. He can't fire anyone because he's going to fire his entire company. So what are you going to do? Go, okay, please, so ask the guy that from India that's sick. Tell him to wait. Tell him to not be sick. Or maybe you could do the job once and for all. Nobody wants to do any work, but everybody wants to get paid. So Rabbi Shimon tells us, Shlosha Ktarim. Shlosha, there's only three. There's no, uh, you know, there's no rewards for being a loser. You have to get one of these three. What's the three? If you have one of these three, of course, you have to, this is a, these are people you have to honor. So if you don't have them yourself, at the very least, honor a person that has it. So the first crown, he says, Keter Torah. The crown of Torah. So here we learn in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 32. It says, from here, we actually learn It says in uh, Leviticus, in the Parashat uh, Kedoshim, in the presence of an old person shall you rise, and you shall honor the presence of a sage, and you shall revere your God, I am Hashem. So it tells you a few different things here. This is a mitzvah in the Torah. Hashem Baruch is telling us, if you see an older person... Rise, you have to have respect. But even more so if you see a sage, meaning someone that's Baal Torah, someone that has Torah, even more so. And don't think that it's the respect that you're giving them. It's not about them, even if you don't like the guy. You don't have to like him. Sometimes you see somebody, you don't like him. Whatever, his face is weird to you or something. Or he yelled at you once, or whatever, something happened. You don't like the guy, doesn't make a difference. He's Baal Torah, he's Talmit Chacham, you have to get up. You see a rabbi come to the uh, Beknesset, you have to get up. You have to see a rabbi come to your house, you have to get up. You can't just think, oh no, it's no big deal. Why? He says, because this shows you Yerat Shemaim. Because this person, that if he took time to beat the Yetzirah, energy to beat the Yetzirah, in order to consume Torah, to learn Torah, to toil in Torah, become a Talmud Chacham, he is like a living Torah. He's like a living scroll walking around. He is the Torah. By you showing him honor, you're showing your Yerat Shemayim. You showing him dishonor, you're showing lack of Yerat Shemayim. The opposite. The, um, I believe it was um, either the niece uh, either the sister of the Arizal or the sister of the Vilna Gaon. I always, uh, for some reason, my brain always switches both of them. One time, she uh, comes to her uh, brother and uh, crying. You know, I've uh, been trying to have kids for many, many years. And uh, no kids. No kids. 10 years, 20 years, no kids. Woman can't have kids. Very difficult. People spend tens of thousands of dollars today trying to have kids. And then you have the people that can't have kids, they don't want to have kids. They want to have a dog instead. 
They want to have one kid and three dogs. And a cat. And maybe some fish. You should put them in the, in the fish tank and make the fish have babies. Now, people don't want, you know, they don't understand. People are dying to have kids. They can't have kids. People that can have kids, they don't want kids. So, this tzaddikah goes to our brother and says, I want to have kids, I want to have kids. Why wasn't Hashem give me children? Why wouldn't Hashem give me children? And they had Ruach HaKodesh. They had Ruach HaKodesh. He oh, yeah, of course, that's why. Because you did it. What would I do? Well, that's why. You're seeing something? Tell me. What are you seeing? It says, one time you have chickens in your backyard. You have chickens, right? Go, yeah, there's chickens there. She goes, yeah, the chicken, the rooster, and all the chickens, they would like to climb on some chair. There's some chair that was close to a tree. They would drink from the tree. They would drink from somewhere. They would always climb the chair. But you, it says here that you took the chair. You took the chair. And now you're causing all the chickens to suffer. She goes, no, the, chick, the chair was broken. Goes, okay, so why don't you replace it? Now all the chickens are suffering. The chickens. The chick, we're not talking about she's killing people. We're not talking about she's uh, this. Chickens. She replaced it. Oh, Hashem, she has babies. Simple things. One woman... Heard from Rav Nisim again, Allah Shalom. Comes to the Rav and she says, Kvoda Rav, I had a very, very terrible dream. They're scaring me. And they said to me, crazy thing. What they say to you? What they say to you? It says, All your mitzvot, not worth anything. I'm Haredi, Akib, Kisri Rosh, I keep everything. All your mitzvot, not worth anything. Why not worth anything? I keep Shabbat, kosher, tarat mishpacha, everything. All your mitzvot not worth nothing. Why not worth nothing? Because every you don't show respect to your husband. When was the last time you got up? When was the last time you got up off your chair when he came into the house? How come you don't get up when he gets into the house? He's the king of the house. How come you don't get up? How come you don't stop? You don't stop the phone. You still talking to your friend? No. So what were you doing this weekend? What are you buying? What are you cooking for Shabbat? Oh, really? What? Your husband just came home. Hang up the phone. Hang up the phone. In Shemaim, they told her, your mitzvot, the word nothing. Why? Your husband, you don't show him any respect. He's still on the phone. Why don't you get up? So this respect, whether it's for your husband or it's for little chickens, little chickens, is very valuable in Shemaim. That's where we learn from the Torah that Omekadin, Omekadin meaning the depth the depth of the judgment in Shemaim is beyond our comprehension. They look at everything in Shemaim. Everything. The judgment looks at everything. So, Keter Torah, the crown of Torah, Hashem Yidbarach is obligating us to honor the rabbis, to honor someone that's a Baal Torah. Baal Torah. The Rambam says, well, how do you get this Keter Torah? How do you get to a point of being someone that has this crown? It's such a great crown. Everybody respects you. Hashem says He's given you a crown. The Rambam says that this is one of the crowns that 
Am Yisrael got at Mount Sinai. It's a good crown. I want this crown. The Keter, uh, the Keter Keuna, it's only if you're a Kohen. If you come from a Kohen family, you come from the tribe of Aaron Avinu, Aaron Kohen, Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, brother, that's the only way you can get the Keuna. It's the only way you can be a priest, meaning a Jewish priest, a, a Kohen Gadol. You can't be a Kohen if you feel like it. You can't be a Kohen if you just feel like it. You can't be a Kohen just because you want to pay somebody. You can only be a Kohen if your father's a Kohen and your grandfather's a Kohen, meaning his father's a Kohen. If your mom's a Kohen and your father's not a, not a Kohen, you're not a Kohen. The, the, the priesthood only goes from father to son. So, why be a Kohen? Why is that so great? Is the uh, Shuchan Aruch says that anytime somebody's a Kohen, anytime somebody's a Kohen, they have first rights. First rights to make the blessing. If the master of the house, or the owner of the house, let's say, is not home, and you're uh, invited a Kohen to the house, he has first rights to do the blessing for everyone, the Kiddush. But even more so, the first rights to say Birkat HaMazon. Birkat HaMazon. Birkat HaMazon is the number one most important blessing in the entire Torah. More important than Shema Yisrael, more important than uh, Amidah. Most people have a lot of Kavanah when they eat. When they eat a steak, they eat some delicious fish, they eat some delicious pasta, something they have a lot of Kavanah. They intend to eat the whole thing. When it comes to prayer, not so much. Not so much kavana, not so much intention. They want to finish the prayer in two seconds. Eat, they'll eat for 45 minutes. Prayer, 20 seconds. Quick. Is there a shorter version? They always ask me, is there a shorter version of Birkat Amazon? Why isn't there a shorter version of you eating? <laughs> if there was a shorter version of you eating, that would be better than a shorter version of Birkat Amazon. To eat, you wanted Hashem to give you a full meal. Full meal. But to bless him for giving you the formula, not so much. Why, why don't you want to bless him? Why don't you want to say thank you? So if you have a Kohen in your house, he gets first rights to do the Birkat Amazon for everyone, unless he's an ignorant person. If he's an ignorant Kohen, and then you have someone that's not a Kohen, someone that's Talmit Chacham, someone that knows Torah, he gets the first rights. The Kohen loses his privilege. Why? Torah is more valuable than being a Kohen. Last but not least, the Keter Malchut, the crown of kinghood, the crown of kingship, there you have to be one of the descendants of David HaMelech. In reality, most people, the vast majority of people that live today, they don't know if they're real descendants of David HaMelech. In order to be a descendant of David Amelech, you have to know who your father is, grandfather is, great-great-grandfather is, and so on and so forth. 160 generations. So, it's virtually impossible for most people that haven't lived an extremely religious life throughout all of the generations to know if they really come from David Amelech or not. But, because that's the ones that get the king. That's the ones that get the kinghood. Now, the Rambam explains that the Keter Torah is bigger than both of them. It's bigger than the king 
and it's bigger than the priesthood. Why? He says, someone who wants to be a righteous Kohen needs Torah. Someone who wants to be called a righteous king in the eyes of Hashem needs Torah. Meaning they need Torah in order to do good in whatever their position is. That's why in the Torah, the commandment that Hashem gives us for actually, for being a king. He tells Amisel, get a, you know, have a king. Have a king. This is a, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. And it says this, Som tasim alecha melech, so he commands Am Yisrael to make themselves a king. In reality, they weren't supposed to have a king. It was supposed to be only Hashem. It was supposed to be only Hashem. But Am Yisrael asked for a king. They said, that we need a leader. We need a leader once we go, well, Hashem's not enough. Such is life. You see what happens? Even we have Hashem, we want more. So Hashem says, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. You want a king of flesh and blood? I'll give you a king. Now it's going to become one of the commandments. And it uh, becomes this. I will set a king over myself like the nations that are around me. It says, oh, in chapter, in uh, verse 15, you shall surely set over yourself a king whom Hashem your God shall choose. Meaning this king is not a politician. It's an election process. You vote for him. You don't vote for him. No, no. Who chooses this king? Hashem. Hashem chooses this king. So this, you have to choose this king. Now this king, it cannot be from the other nations. It cannot be a goy. It cannot be a convert. It cannot be anyone that's not a uh, natural born Jew. It cannot be a someone who could be extremely righteous. But he has to be from among you. Meaning he has to be somebody that's, uh, you know, that has lineage that Hashem picked him. Now why do we mention this? Because Hashem is not just going to pick anyone. Hashem is not a politician. Not politically correct. Oh, you know, everybody likes him. Let's pick him. Oh, he had a good show on TV. Let's pick him. No, Hashem, who is he picking? He's picking the Gdolado. He's picking the most righteous person of the people. So now, David Amelech, for example, was Gdolado. was the giant shade of the generation. Shaul Amelech, Shaul Amelech was, a king, was the first official king of Am Yisrael was actually considered even more righteous than David HaMelech. The Gemara says that if the roles were reversed, meaning if King David was the first king, and Shaul was supposed to be the second king, and King David chased Shaul to kill Shaul, like the opposite of what really happened, Hashem would let Shaul kill David. Imagine that. So why did Shaul HaMelech lose this? Why didn't he continue being Melech Mashiach? Because of what you mentioned. In the book of Samuel, chapter 28, verse 7, Shaul Amela goes to the, uh, has a war. There's a war happening, and he gets worried. He has a, a moment of weakness. Chazal says he has a shtut comes into his head. He has nonsense comes into his head. Yetzirah comes into his head and convinces him to do something stupid. What's something stupid? He says he has limited emunah all of a sudden. Limited emunah, I need to know what's going to happen in this war. How am I going to know? I killed all the prophets. No prophets to go to. There's nobody to go to. Who am I going to go to? 
go to a fortune teller, but it's a sin against the Torah. But she doesn't know she doesn't know that I'm the king. I'm gonna to pretend to be somebody else. He goes to this fortune teller, and the fortune teller immediately sees that he's the king. He says, Why'd you do this to me? He goes, Don't worry, I'm not gonna kill you, and so on and so forth, and he gets to hear what Shmuel Anavi says to him, and Shmuel Anavi says, you've made a big sin against Hashem, tomorrow you are going to be with me. Tomorrow you're going to be with me, meaning, tomorrow you or your sons are going to die. So despite the fact that he just made a sin, and he went to a fortune teller, that he's not allowed to do, he got punished for it. He got punished for it. What was the punishment? He lost his kinghood. To lose your kinghood is not like losing your keychain. It's not like losing some money in the stock market. It's losing something that changes eternity. That was enough of a punishment. And he still has Ganetin. That's the answer. So in essence, even though he sinned, and Hashem obviously didn't like it, he got the punishment, but that punishment was enough. He still has Olam so he, from here we see that Hashem is a righteous judge. He's not just going to destroy a person that made a decision that in essence affected him alone. If he would have affected many, like Gehazi. Gehazi, his decision affected many. Why? If that king would have converted, his family would have converted, his people would have converted, their children would have converted, and would have been an addition to Am Yisrael. He affected many. That's why he lost his Olam Shaul HaMelech, he only affected himself. He wanted to know the future. He only affected himself. He didn't say, it's a, he didn't pass a fake halacha, like some people do, and say, from now on it's allowed to go to these fortune tellers. He didn't do that. He even himself was embarrassed of it and hid. So, Hashem is the righteous judge. But now, what do we learn from the king? What do we learn? This Hashem picks the king. What do we learn from him? This king has to be the gdolado. This king has to be righteous, this king has to be smart. This king has to be extraordinarily important. Extraordinarily important in Shemaim, not just here. So after all of this, what's the first commandment that Hashem says this king has to do? So it says, what is this king, what's the big thing that he has to do? What's the first commandment he has to do? Aside from not having too many wives, aside from not you know, letting his Yetzirah control him, aside from not focusing too much on money, all the things that are pretty obvious. It's a very interesting commandment. He says this king shall write for himself two copies of this Torah, meaning two scrolls of Torah. Two scrolls of Torah from before the Kohanim and the Levites. And it shall be with him. One, he has an Aona Kodesh. One, he carries with him all the time. He has to carry a Sefer Torah. Wherever the king goes, he has to carry a Sefer Torah. He goes to a meeting, Sefer Torah. He goes to war, Sefer Torah. He goes to be bedroom, Sefer Torah. Everywhere he goes, he has to have Sefer Torah. Except the bathroom. He has to leave it outside. Other than that, Sefer Torah. Why do you have this Sefer Torah? Why do you have to have Sefer Torah? You don't know it. By now, he's a Tamit Chacham. Probably knows the thing by, uh, by heart already. 
says, and he shall read from this book all the days of his life. Why? Why does he have to learn? Okay, of course we know he has to learn Torah. As a king, he must have it close to him all the time. Why? So that he will learn to fear Hashem, his God, to observe all the words of this Torah and these decrees to perform them. Why? If he wants even a remote chance of being considered a good king, a king that's considered tov in the eyes of Hashem, not just in the eyes of his, uh, of his friends, he has to learn Yad Shamayim. He has to learn fear of Hashem. Why? Because if there's no fear of Hashem, everything else is worthless. Yirat Hashem, Iyot Hashem Yidbarah says, Yirat Shamayim, fear of the Almighty, that's my treasure. That's my treasure. Those few people that fear me, that's the treasure that I have. Everything else is worthless. So now, this Keter Malchut, in order for it to be effective, in order for it to be valuable, in order for, for, for someone to be considered a righteous king in the eyes of Hashem, he has to have this Torah. In order for someone to be a righteous Kohen, he has to have a Torah. So the Rambam says, how do you get this Keter Malchut? How do you get this crown of Torah then? If it's so important, if it's greater than kinghood, if it's greater than priest, if it's greater than, how do you get it? it? says, someone whose heart has elevated him to fulfill properly the command to study Torah, and to want to be crowned with the crown of Torah. Someone that wants to get this. This is in the Rambam Ilchot Talmud Torah. Chapter 3, Allah 6. Someone that wants to get this crown. What does he do? Let him not shift his focus to any other pursuit. First and foremost, he needs to know Torah is number one, two, three, four, five. It's everything. Nothing else. Only Torah. How are you going to live? Shem's going to provide somehow. Shem's going to provide somehow. Let him not entertain the thought that he can acquire Torah along with wealth and honor. If you want to be rich, that means you don't want Torah. It's not that you're anti-being rich. If Shem gives you a gift like he gave to Rabbi Udanasi, or he gave to uh, Rabbi Akiva, or he gave to many of the Chachamim throughout the generations, you take it. Hashem gives you a gift, you take it. But if you yourself are aspiring to make money, then that means you don't want the Torah enough. That means there's still, there's something lacking. There's something lacking, even if you study Torah every day. We're not saying just because you want money, you don't study Torah. Many people study Torah and work and make millions. There's no problem with that. But to have the crown of Torah... That means the Torah is your life. Everything else is a part of life. Meaning, you go to work. You don't have to just study Torah. You could go to work. You go to work, but you work in order for you to have comfort when you study Torah. You're not working to make money. If you happen to make money, great. If not, great. Either way, it doesn't make a difference. Your real life starts after work. Your real life starts after work. You're just there doing whatever it is you need to do to make a living because your real life starts after work. So if you're still aspiring to acquire wealth and honor, 
you're not going to get the crown of Torah. This is Alakha from Rambam. And he continues in the 13th Alakha, one who wants to merit the crown of Torah should not lose even one of his nights to sleep, food, drink, idle talk, or the like. He should be involved only in Torah and wisdom. Why the Rambam says you should pretty much never sleep? Like sleep literally the bare minimum. Bare, bare minimum. Whatever you need to survive. Not, we're not talking about eight hours a day or seven hours a day or even five. We're talking about much, the bare minimum to survive. Why? Because the Rambam says your real Torah you're going to learn in the middle of the night. The real wisdom that you're going to acquire is going to be in the middle of the night. And if you weren't obligated, Rambam says this, if you weren't obligated to learn Torah day and night, I would tell you only study at night. But you have to study day and night, so therefore you study some in the morning, but you study a lot at night. Yeah. What's idle talk? Nothing. Nonsense. You're just talking about baseball, football, stock market, politics. Who's going to be the next president? Who's the current president? What's the economy doing? All the shtuyot that's not Torah. Everything else, in sense, in essence. Also, how do we know um, determine if somebody is old enough so we ride? If someone is old enough, anyone's older than you, that's uh, you know an older person. If it's someone that's uh, you know a um, uh, an elder, I mean, everybody knows whether someone's a senior citizen or someone that's a uh, uh, an older person. That's you know you should ride for them. If it's your father, if it's your you know a grandfather. If it's someone that's considered a uh, you know an elderman in essence, it's you you write for them. But really, the most focus when they're talking about someone that's elder, it's someone that's elder in Torah. Like the the uh, the uh, the elders in the Torah, the skinim, the skinim in the Torah. It's not talking about people that were old in age. It's really specifically talking about old in Torah, meaning they have they possess an enormous amount of Torah. So now, the Tiferet Israel says, who are these people? that have these crowns of Torah, who are the ones that are likely to possess these crowns of Torah? He says the Dayanim. The Dayanim are one of the peoples that have that could potentially have these crowns of Torah. Also, the communal rabbi. The rabbi that's handling communities and teaching them, mamas, real Torah, real Musar, real getting people to really, uh, you know, get closer to Torah, not just uh, arranging Hanukkah and Purim parties. There's plenty of rabbis in the world, but all they're, they're event planners. All they do is they plan events. Come for here for schnitzel, come for steak. There's a party, there's a dance, there's a bar mitzvah. Torah, you know, once in a blue moon. There's event planners. They call themselves rabbis. We're not talking about that. We're talking about rabbi, the ramash, brings the community together to learn Torah on a regular basis, daily basis. And last but not least, people that teach Torah, Torah teachers. Women are not obligated to learn Torah, therefore she doesn't acquire the crown of Torah, but a woman can't even get to a level of Ruach HaKodesh. But, but that's, that's a Does a woman study during... A woman is not obligated to study, so in essence, any time she studies is, is considered extra. Any time she studies is considered good, any time she studies is considered extra. The main thing is for women is to realize that she has to raise a home, she has to raise the kids, she has to take care of the family. If she's done all of that and she still has time to learn Torah, then of course learn Torah. But she can't, uh, you know, let the kids, you know, rot and not eat for a week because she wants to go to Shul Torah. You know, the kids can't be wearing the same clothes 
for first, second, and third grade, and the you know, pants are already becoming underwear, because she wants to go to Shiur Torah. She has to take care of the kids. The husband can't, uh, you know, scrap the, uh, the, the rice from last week's uh, Shabbat meal, because she hasn't cooked in two weeks, because she goes to Shiur Torah. Women have to take care of the house. Once she takes care of the husband, she takes care of the house, she takes care of the kids, learn as much Torah as you can possibly consume, because you have to learn also. But... It does, it's not the number one thing on the list. Number one thing on the list is building a house of Torah. That's why the Gemara says, why do, women, why do women go to Gan Eden if they're not obligated to learn Torah? Why do they go to Gan Eden? Why do, what's the merit that they have to go to Gan Eden? Gemara says, for building a house of Torah, for getting a husband to go learn Torah, for getting our children to go learn Torah, all of their Torah is hers. Everything they learn. Is hers. So she can potentially get more Torah than the husband. The husband gets his own Torah. But she gets his Torah, and she gets the four kids' Torah, and their kids' Torah, and the grandkids' Torah. She gets everybody's Torah. She gets to a high level. That's why it's important for her to make sure they go to learn as much Torah as possible. Learn as much Torah as possible. That's, where, that's the crown she gets. And there was Mamash, there was women in, in history, even in recent history, that Mamash got to a level... Where they had such holiness, they got to Ruach HaKodesh. They got to a level of spirituality where they had Ruach HaKodesh. I know that uh, Rav Nisim, again, in a couple of lectures that I've heard of his, he talks about this one particular woman that died when he was still like young, still a kid. He says, this woman, the Chachamim, the Gdolei Adol, would go to her and ask her for blessings. They would ask her for blessings. Why? She says, she has Ruach HaKodesh. woman has Ruach HaKodesh. So... It's a uh, it's important, but again, of course, this woman every time she saw her husband, she got up. She wasn't talking on the phone asking her friend what she's doing next she, next week and where you, you want to come to the mall and you want to sit at the food court for three hours a day. She wasn't doing that. So Rambam says, how do you get this a uh, this uh, crown of Torah? You make Torah number one, number one. Now, the uh, Rambam also says. That, uh, like I said before, the crown of Torah is greater than all than the three, than the two other uh, crowns, because the two other crowns depend on it. The two other crowns depend on it. Uh, the uh, crown of the king and the crown of the Kohen Gadol are both replaceable. Once the king dies, another king comes. Once the Kohen Gadol dies, the Kohen Gadol is replaced. And even more so, if the king and the Kohen do not have Torah, they're worthless. They're considered worthless. You hear in the Torah, David Amelach that had Torah, was big tzaddik, becomes the fourth uh, part of the Merkava of Hashem. Now, that carry, that carries the Shekhinah. Now, that's David Amelach. Shaul Amelach, same thing. Huge, giant tzaddik. But when you look at some of these uh, these other Reshaim that were kings of, of, of Am Yisrael, Hashem specifically says, these people have no olam haba. They get the worst genom, never-ending punishment, shimachem, worst, worst things. Why? No Torah. They were missing the Torah ingredient. They had kinghood. They had initially the ability to be the best. They had all the right ingredients in the beginning. But they ruined it. They ruined it. Gemara Maseret Arayot said that if someone that's a Kohen Gadol shouldn't be so comfortable. Shouldn't be so comfortable because he's a Kohen Gadol. Why? Because if he's an ignorant Kohen Gadol, 
He's not worth anything. To what extent? The Gemara Maseret Orayot says that if there's a mamzel, if there's a mamzel that knows Torah, he's considered more than a Kohen Gadol that doesn't know Torah. What's a mamzel? Mamzel is a child that's born out of adultery. It's not a child like most people think that a mamzel is a bastard. It's a bastard child. That's not true. A bastard child is someone that's born out of wedlock. That's not true. A mamzer is much, much worse. A mamzer is a child that was born out of adultery. Meaning, a woman and a man are married, and the woman cheats on the man with another man, and she has a child from a different man. That child is considered a mamzer. So it's a child where she's married to somebody, but she has a baby with somebody else. That child is considered a mamzer. And Hashem says, Mamzerim, I'm not going to let them live. I'm not going to let their lineage continue living. I don't want this seed in the world. But we don't kill them or anything, Chaz Shalom. So in order for Hashem to, in order for, for Hashem to give us guidance of how to manage these Mamzerim, He says, I'm going to give you rules of how to manage them in those times until Hashem pretty much took full control. He says, a Mamzer is only allowed to marry another Mamzer or a convert. Another mamzer or a convert. Why another mamzer? Another mamzer is uh, also has the same situation. So we know they're both mamzerim. They're only so we know no one's allowed to mess with this family. You could hang out with them. You could talk to them. You could learn Torah with them. Invite them to a barbecue. No problem. Marry them? Not allowed. Why? There's a problem. It's a problem. But now this impure lineage. Hashem says, I don't want them to feel so bad all the time. I want them to also have an opportunity to get out. What's the opportunity to get out? I can allow, if they're Talmidei Chachamim, if they dedicate their life to the Torah, I'm going to let them get out. How to get out? Let them marry into a convert. Marry into a convert, eventually the convert has kids and eventually the lineage is no longer Mamzerim. So there's a way to get out. There's a way to get out if you have the merit. But if you don't have the merit, you stay mamzel. So now we've had, always had this thing where you guys are probably thinking it and people at home are probably thinking it. What did the mamzel do so bad that he deserves to be punished his whole life? What does he do so bad? Like it's not his fault that his mom is a prostitute and she, had a, she cheated on her husband. She cheated on his father. It's not his fault. What is his fault? Why does he only have to, why is he limited to only marry a mamzer? What's his fault? So, I always thought this, I mean, it's not, doesn't seem like it's fair. Now, first and foremost, you should understand that there's any soul that's in the world, it's not the first time it's here. The overwhelming majority of souls in the world are reincarnations of previous souls, previous lives. All of us have been here, in so many words, in a previous life. Different shiur, different time to explain the details. But in so many words, you were here before, in a different body. You had a different life. You had probably a different name, different family, different this, different this. But your neshama was here. It didn't finish its tikkun. It didn't finish its tshuva. So Hashem brought you back again. So anyone that's here and is suffering, many times it's not because of the sins. 
that they're you know made in this life, it could potentially be from a previous life. So, for example, all of the converts that we see today, it's an extraordinary amount of people want to convert, much more than normal. Throughout all of history, we've always had converts. But never in history have we had as many people want to convert to Judaism as we have now. So this shows that Hashem's promise to the goyim, the righteous, at the times of Mount Sinai, is coming true. At the time of Mount Sinai, Hashem offered the Torah to all of the nations. And all of the nations said no. They said no. So, But some of the people inside those nations said yes. Hashem says, I can't give it to just you and not your nation. It's either everyone or no one. So I promise you, because you want to, because you want to convert, because you want to be a Jew, you want the Torah, I'm going to reincarnate you into a different generation where you're going to have an unusual circumstance where you're going to want to convert to Judaism. You're going to be in a relationship with someone that's, you know, gets you to do, uh, to become Jewish because you see how beautiful it is. You find a book that motivates you. You see a movie that motivates Something changes. You have an unusual circumstance that in the next life that you're going to want to convert. Even though it doesn't make sense. Technically, it doesn't make sense for anyone to want to be Jewish if they're not Jewish already. Doesn't make sense. Why would you want to do more? You could do less and still get a lama So, the desire to convert is mamash one of the proofs of reincarnation. So, now this mamzer, going back to the mamzer situation. So, part of the reason why mamzer is a mamzer is because of whatever they did in the previous gilgul. But still, I always thought to myself, you know. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe, you know, you always try to rationalize. Yitzhak always gives you crazy thoughts in your head. Chas shalom, you think that Hashem is not fair. So, I thought this until I heard a story. I heard a story from the person. Not from, like, somebody who heard a story. It's almost firsthand. He says, one time, there was a... Uh, Jewish woman married to a Jewish man. And um, over a hundred years ago. Married. And apparently this uh, Jewish woman wasn't exactly a tzaddikah. She cheated on him. Cheated on him. Eventually they broke up. He broke up with her because they cheated on him. Broke up with her. She married another guy years later. She married another guy, but the next guy was Catholic. Next guy was Catholic, so she took on the Catholic religion. She took on the Catholic religion. So she had a daughter. She had a daughter, and her daughter her whole life thought she was Catholic. She didn't know that her mom is Jewish. She didn't know anything. One day this daughter grows up, and she has a boyfriend. A little older than her, 11 years older than her, and she wants to marry this boyfriend. And the mom says, "No, no, don't marry him. Don't marry him. He's not good for you." She goes, "Why? Why? Why don't you? Why don't you want me to marry him? What's wrong with him? Why is it because he's older than me? No, no, he's just not good for you. He's not good for you. Don't marry him. Why? Why not? Why? Because he's old? No, no, he's just not good for you. He's not good for you. You're gonna come to the wedding. I'll come to the wedding, but don't marry him." Ta 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 ta. She marries him anyway. She marries him anyway. 
She marries him. And she has a kid. And the kid grows up a life Catholic. The woman gets older. The mom eventually is on her deathbed. And the woman goes to her mom many years later. Mom, how come you didn't want me to marry my husband many, many years ago? Can you tell me? You never told me. You know, we were happily married for many years. We had a son. We had a this. We had a that. What did you have against them so many years ago? Would you tell me? She says, I'm only going to tell you because I don't think I have another chance to tell you. I didn't want you to marry him because he's your brother. I didn't want you to marry him because he's your brother that I had as a kid when I cheated on my first husband. My first Jewish husband. Do you understand? He's a mamzer. But Hashem Yitbarach runs the world. He says, I'm not going to let the mamzer continue spreading. I'm going to make them stay in the family and Hashem and Hashem even have marriage within their own family. I heard this from the, the son. The son. When did he find this out? Before his mom died. She told him the story. You understand? Hashem runs the world. Then I understood why Hashem made the law for Mamzer. Then I understood. Ah, okay, you know what? Now I understand. Now I understand. Baruch Hashem. Hashem says, listen, when something comes out, out of something not good, got to contain it. Got to contain it. There's a way out, but it's only through Torah. Not through being nice. Not through giving tzedakah. No, there's a way out, only through Torah. Only through Torah. What happened? She cheated. Then she uh, intermarried to a different religion. Then this, then that. Whatever. Bottom line is, she didn't do tshuva. We have to keep it contained. Oh Hashem, our uh, great-great-grandson is uh, doing tshuva, but at this point he's still doubting what, what to do with his life. Why? He grew up Catholic his whole life. He actually even thought, he taught. Taught Christianity until he realized the truth. And now he's trying to do tshuva. Where do you start? After you're teaching nonsense for so many years, you knew nonsense for so many years, where do you start? Oh, Hashem, he's doing good. But little by little, this is a big thing. It's a big tikkun for somebody. But this is the mamash. I realized this when I was hearing the story, mamash, from him. I realized, ah, that's why Hashem made the laws for the mamzel. That's why. But even the mamzel, even the mamzel needs to know, if they become Talmit Chacham, they learn Torah, they dedicate themselves, they're considered more significant than an ignorant Kohen Gadol. Kohen Gadol, the biggest of all the Kohanim. He doesn't know Torah. You, Mamzer, that comes from crazy family, you're worth a lot more than him. You're considered more than him. More than Kohen Gadol. So you have a way out. Always have a way out. Always, there's always Tshuva. If Terach has a way to do Tshuva, you have a way to do Tshuva. So now, we see that the Torah is extraordinary. Extraordinary of how it can get us out of our mess. So what is this Torah? Someone that has this crown of Torah, what are some of the examples, recent examples, of someone that has this Keter Torah, this crown of Torah? 
one of the Gdolei Israel named uh, Rabbi Aaron Rata. Rabbi Aaron Rata was Kodesh Kodeshim. He also is the one that wrote a lot of material about wasting seed. Wasting seed, the sin of wasting seed, all of the punishments that have to, that happen to somebody when they waste seed, and you know, a lot of the ways to do tshuva for it, and so on and so forth. He wrote, he wrote extensively about the topic. Now he was holy, holy person, and uh, he was able to see who and what you are by looking at you. He doesn't have to, you don't have to like tell him about yourself. Uh, you know, some of reshaim were born in every generation. It's not like just now. So one time this Rasha journalist wanted to write a story about him. But this Rasha was a special type of journalist. He made fun of people. Like we have today, almost every journalist makes fun of people. In that generation there was like a few. Only a few, not everyone. There's no fake news back then. Back, back then it was real news and funny news. Now it's just fake news. So anyway, this Rasha journalist what, pretended to be a uh, Hasid put the whole costume on and he came to uh, Shabbaton and they were having Avdalah at, uh, with Rabbi Aaron Rata and uh, he was there and he wanted to you know he was trying to get material the whole Shabbat that he could write about it and make fun of the, the rabbi about the rabbi looked this way the rabbi did this way the rabbi that, that, that you know so the whole time, he thinks that he's undercover. No one knows that he's a, he's a jokester. No one knows. After Avdalah, Rabbi Aaron Rata looks at him at the end of the table and goes, You, come here. The guy was about to lose consciousness. He, he, thought he, he, he knows who I am. What am I going to do? I can't say no. I can't say, what am I going to do? Okay, maybe he doesn't know. So he goes, go to, 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 to. He gets to the rabbi. The rabbi says to him, Shavua Tov, and he shakes his hand. Shavua Tov, and he shakes his hand. And then all of the people, there's many, many people there witnessing this. They start seeing the, the guy freeze and then start screaming, No! No! Ah! He's screaming his lungs out. But he can't move. And he's screaming his lungs out until the rabbi lets go. And then the guy continues to scream. He says, if I don't do tshuva, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm gonna, if I don't do tshuva, I'm going to die. I'm going to die if I don't do tshuva. I'm going to die if I don't do tshuva. And he just repeated the same thing over and over again. And eventually when he calmed down, the people went to him outside. He's like, what happened? Because when I shook his hand, he showed me Gehenom. It's waiting for me. That's a rabbi. That has Keter Torah. You understand? That's Keter Torah. It's not just somebody puts a crown on their head because it's made out of plastic. The crown is given by Hashem Barach. So now, this Mishnah finalizes with something extraordinary. It says, even though we learn that Keter Malchut, the, the, uh, the uh, crown of the king, is extraordinary. And he has to learn Yirat Shamayim even though he's a king. And even though he learned a Kohen Gadol, can only be considered a significant Kohen Gadol if he has a lot of Torah. And even though he learned that the Torah is bigger than all of them, here it says 
כתר שם טוב עולה על גביהן. The crown of good name goes on top of all of them. What does it mean? Well, you just said there's only three crowns. Where does this crown come from? So this is not a fourth crown. This is not a fourth crown. This is Shem Tov. Shem Tov is good name. What's good name? Good name applies to all of them. You can have Torah, but a bad name. You could be a king, but have a bad name. You could be a Kohen, but have a bad name. How so? If someone has Torah, learns Torah, but he has bad midot. Bad midot. He learns Torah. He knows the Allahot. You ask him, give me Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, page this, page this, page this. He knows it by heart. Amazing. But he wants to get food. He doesn't say, excuse me. Move, move out of the way. Move, move. I need to get my food and go back to learn my uh, Gemara. He doesn't think there's anybody in his way. Everybody else is worthless in his eyes. He says, that's a person... That's a person with no midot. The Gemara in Moed Katan, page 17a, says someone that has Torah, but no midot, not allowed to learn from him. Not allowed to learn from him. If he makes a mistake here and there, it's a different story. But if he already, if, it, if, it's, if it's part of him, his bad character traits, he gets angry all the time. He's always angry. Wakes up angry, goes to sleep angry. In the middle, he's angry. And for lunch, he's angry. After he eats, he's angry. Before he eats, he's always angry. He's just an angry little gremlin. You don't learn Torah from somebody like that. Somebody that's stingy. Somebody that's counting your money. He's so afraid about his own money, he's counting your money. You ever meet some of those people? They're so scared to spend their money, they're counting your money. Do you have money? Why, why do you care if I have money? Because he's worried if you can ask him for a loan. No, because we're going to the store, we're going to get a sandwich... Do you have money for the sandwich? You have a sandwich? Why do you care if I have any money? Because he's afraid that he's going to have to pay for you because you don't have money. Some people are so cheap they're, they're counting your money already. They're counting your money. Or he doesn't want to invite you to his house. Why? He doesn't want to give you any food. He doesn't want to give you anything. Why? I don't know. Or if you want to invite him to your house, he doesn't want to come to your house. Not because he doesn't want to eat your food. Because he thinks that if he comes to your house, he's going to have to invite you back. He doesn't, he rather starve than give you anything. Some people like this, cheap people. Yeah. If, if you live with a person that the person doesn't want to work. And the person doesn't want to work for what reason? Because maybe he's depressed, maybe I don't know why he doesn't have car, because the person can take the bus or the plane. Um, and this, the person is expecting that you give, you give her. If the person is not working because of some, you know, major trauma that happened in their life or something like that, then you try to help them get out of this situation. Try to encourage them to get out of it. You can't stay that way forever. But if the person is just lazy, they just don't feel like doing it. They want everybody else to give them the money. It's a different story. If they're lazy, you're not allowed to help lazy people. Lazy people have to be pushed to stop being lazy. But if the person is in a trauma, they got some kind of accident, now they're afraid to go... They have a phobia to go on the road. They have a phobia to fly. Things like that. It's a different story. You help those people. But if someone just doesn't feel like doing it, like a lot of teenagers today, they think that if they go to school, that's enough for them to get everything they want. You know, or even though, not teenagers, people that are in their 20s, they think that their parents are supposed to 
pretty much serve them and finance them until they die. People think that their parents are supposed to give them houses and cars. You see sometimes these kids curse their parents out because they gave them a car that wasn't brand new or wasn't uh, the best model, wasn't the best car. Much crazy. There's this video somebody sent me one time of this teenager taking a shovel and smashing this car that his uh, parents bought him because it wasn't a brand new car. He just took the shovel and started smashing and ruining this car. It cost his parents a lot of money. So, somebody like that, send him to a zoo. Send him to some, you know, maybe a big big rabbi can help them fix their neshama because this is a person that has serious problems. It's a lazy person that's a person that thinks the world owes them something. That's not a person you help. It's a person you help them by sending him away. But if it's a person that went through some type of trauma, then you help them. If they got, if they are depressed, or they have some mental disorder, or they're sick, or something like that, yeah, of course, it's chesed to help that person. It's chesed to help that person, and the best help you can help somebody is not just giving them, uh, but also encourage them to get for themselves. You know, it's like teaching somebody to fish is much more valuable than giving them fish. Much more valuable. So when someone has Torah, he learns Torah, but he doesn't have, he doesn't practice what the Torah says, which is learning Musar and actually having good ethics, good character traits, then you're not allowed to learn from such a person. Why? Because such a person, even an ignorant boor, someone doesn't know anything is better than him. Why? Because the ignorant person is, is he's behaving that way for, because he's ignorant. He has an excuse. Someone that learns Torah and still behaving that way, he has no excuse anymore. So that person, you can't learn Torah from him. So when someone has bad midot and he's a Torah teacher, that actually gives him a bad name. Why? He's the rabbi that everybody hates. He's the rabbi that gets people to leave the religion. You know, a lot of times people tell me, no, you know, I used to be religious, but I stopped being religious. Why did you stop being religious? It's always because of other religious people. Some rabbi that beat them up, or some rabbi that touched them, or some rabbi that stole from them. It's always because of some rabbi that was a bad orange, that was a bad apple, that was a bad everything. And in essence, they left God because of this rabbi. That's Rasha. So having a bad name is a very, very big thing. It's not just a uh, small thing. So even someone that has the biggest crown of all, the Ketel Torah, if he has a bad name, if he has bad Midot, it's all worthless. It's better off he doesn't study. It's better off he doesn't do anything. Better off he was not born. That's what the Torah says. The Torah says, someone like that is better off he's not born. Now, the... Uh, Someone that's a king, someone that's a king, a king that doesn't follow the Torah eventually creates a nation of sinners, creates a uh, kingdom of sinners, like some of these Rishayim kings, uh, some of these Rishayim kings uh, that led people to idol worship, led Am Yisrael to sin against Hashem, and... Uh, the mitzvah that we have in Sefer Shmot, the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 27, that you shall not curse 
a leader among your people, meaning you're not allowed to curse a king, you're not allowed to curse someone that's in power, it says that mitzvah doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply to the Shayim kings. Why? Because the mitzvah specifically says, you shall not curse a leader among your people. When he's a rasha, when he has bad midot, when he leads people to sin, he's not, even though he's a king of the nation of Israel, he's not considered a Jew, he's considered a rasha. And someone that's a rasha on a regular basis is excluded from being considered among your people. When he acts as a proper Jew, then you're not allowed to curse him. Then he has the privilege of you not even being allowed to talk about him in privacy. So that's a king with a bad name, or a leader with a bad name, is in essence creating Chilu Hashem. He's desecrating the name of Hashem, because in essence, Hashem picked him and now he's ruining it. He's making Hashem look bad, not just himself. So that's two. Third thing is a Kohen. The Gemara Masechet Yoma says that one time there was a Kohen Gadol that uh, got upset that instead of him getting all the honor, Shmaya and Aftalion, the two heads of the Sanhedrin, came in and they were getting all, all, of the, uh, all of the Kavod. He got upset, they're getting all the Kavod. So he told everybody, why are you giving them all the Kavod? They're both converts. They're not even natural born Jews. Why are you giving them, all, why are you giving them so much Kavod? Even though they were the heads of the Bedin, he didn't care about that. He says, they're converts. They're not even real Jews. So this stupidity that we have in this generation is already in the days of the Gemara. So what does Shmaya and Naftalion do? They had power. They were the heads of the Bedin. They said to him, Let's, let the welcome be extended to the descendants of the heathens who act like Aaronavim. Even though our parents weren't the greatest, and our grandparents weren't the greatest, some of them were idol worshippers perhaps, we at least act like Aaron. We act like Aaron Akoin. But no one is going to welcome the descendants of Aaron himself of people that don't act like Aaron. You, that you actually are a descendant of Aaron Akoin. You're Akoin Gadol. You have to be a descendant of Aaron. No one's going to welcome you. Why? You don't act like Aaron. You don't act like Aaron. What is Aaron? Aaron chased peace. Aaron chased peace. What are you doing? You're creating war. You have bad midot. You have bad character traits. So here we see that even a Kohen, a Kohen Gadol, can have a uh, bad name. Now, all the crowns, whether it's Torah, Keuna, Malchut, whatever it is, all the crowns require a good name in order for them to get to their ultimate potential. And... The main thing that we learn here though is that the only way to get this the only way to get this good name is with the Torah. So on one end the greatest crown is the crown of Torah. On another end the crown of Torah could potentially not get to be as great as it could be it could be even you know be lost if there's no good name. How do you get this good name if you have this crown of Torah? Now, how do you get, if you have this Shem Tov, you have a good name. Now, how do you get this good name? How do you, how do you get to a good name if you have all this? Like, okay, so is it, is it like a secret uh, key, a secret system to doing all of this? 
So, Shlomo HaMelech, Shlomo HaMelech, in the book of uh, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 1, says, Tov, Tov Shem, Mishem and Tov. Beyom HaMavet, Miyom Ivaldo. It says, A good name is better than good oil. And a day of death than a day of birth. So, Shlomo Melech is teaching us that a person's reputation is going to outlast his money. doesn't matter how much money he has. He could have billions of dollars, uh, like these uh, Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett and some of these billionaires that are, have these foundations that they're going to donate all this money to these different causes and all this stuff that they keep promising to people. In reality, once they die, no one's going to care. No one's going to care. Everyone is giving them respect now because they're alive. And everyone wants a piece of this money. Oh, they're nice. Oh, they're, yeah, come on our TV network. Come to our show. Come to our hotel. Come to, everybody gives them honor. Not because they're such great people. Not because they have such a good name. Because they have money. People want the money. Once they die, their money is like anybody else's money. Their name, worthless. They died. There's nothing like, no one's going to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to start a whole new community in the honor of Bill Gates uh, because he uh, created some software called Microsoft. Nobody's going to care. No one's going to say, I'm going to name my kid Warren Buffett. No one's going to name their kid Warren Buffett, unless they're crazy people. Like somebody named their kid like. Somebody named their kid like when Facebook became a, a public company in celebration of Facebook, this person, unfortunately a Jew, actually named their child like, like the like button. People, Some people are crazy, but I'm talking about normal people. Normal people are not going to care once these billionaires die, even though they have billions of dollars as foundations that are supposed to be donated to these causes. No one cares. People are selfish. That's just the reality. People are just going to want money, give some money to my foundation, who cares if he lives? Who cares if he dies? Just give me the money. People just want the money. So Shlomo Amalek says, if you have a good name, it's much more valuable than money. And if you have a good name, your day of death is going to be much more valuable than the day you were born. Why? Why is the day of death much more valuable than the day you were born? Because the day of death is starting eternity. Day of death, you have olama ba, you have all good, you have no problem, you have no mortgages, you have no stress, you have no fights, you have nothing, you have greatness, extraordinary reward forever. If you have a good name, if you have a good name, you don't have a good name. Hopefully, you had some money, so you enjoyed it at least one world. So the thing here is that how how do you get to get this good name? How do you get to this good name? And as I always tell everyone, the key is to always look at the parasha, because the parasha always gives us a lot of answers. How it connects, only Hashem knows. But here we see in this parasha, Avram had a good history. His father not so much, but he did tshuva. Lot, terrible. Lot, terrible. But still Hashem... The Mashiach comes from Lot, descendants of Lot. He did a few de decent things in his life. Hashem wanted to bring the Mashiach from him. 
But Am Yisrael as a whole comes from Avram. It comes from Avram. He comes and he says, Avram has a good name. Why? Hashem changed it. In chapter 17 of this week's Parashat Lech Lecha, in verse 5, it says, Shimcha Avram, Vaya Shimcha Avraham. Ki av amon goim netaticha. Your name shall no longer be Avram. Your name shall be Avraham. He's adding a, a H, a, a, a hey, into his name. For I have made you a father of the multitude of nations. What does that mean? What, what you just added a letter in his name and it makes him great? That's it? So I never add the letter. Olga adds, I don't know, uh, N to her name. Olgan. Yaron is Yaroni now. Everybody starts adding names. Just add another letter. It makes you great? No, 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 no. What's the secret here? What's the secret of Avraham? Avraham and Sarah both added the same letter to their name. What was the letter? Hey. What does hey symbolize? Hashem. Hey symbolizes Hashem. How do you get a good name? You add Hashem to your life. You add Hashem to your life. Now, to finalize, we'll say this. In the Gemara, Masechet Megillah, I was always thinking about how am I going to connect this really great chidush into this week. But I think this, this connects. You tell me if it does or it doesn't. If it doesn't, it's still good. Though. So, so in the Gemara, it says, there's different people here. They talk about people that say nonsense, how they quiet them. You're not allowed to just be a heretic in the days of the Sanhedrin. Somebody that would be a heretic, they would quiet them. Sometimes they would kill them. He says, somebody who gives euphemistic interpretations to the prohibitions against forbidden unions, we silence him. Meaning, someone that minimizes the significance of what a mamzer is. No, mamzer is just a... uh, his parents didn't get along. His parents didn't get along. No, his parents... It's not, he doesn't tell you the truth about what it really is. Or someone that says, your, you know, it says in the Torah, your father's nakedness and your mother's nakedness, you're not allowed to see it. You know, your kid is not allowed to see their parents naked. If they're babies, it's a different story. They don't know what's going on. But once the kid has a dot, has a, you know, has a brain, has common sense... You're not allowed to, for example, many parents, uh, they take showers with their kids sometimes. Kid is 8, 9, 10 years old, they take showers with their mothers or fathers, not allowed. Or fathers or mothers take their kids to the mikveh with them, not allowed. Not allowed to take their kid. You know, a father's not allowed to take his kid to the mikveh with him. He's 10 years old, he sees his father naked like that. He has to cover himself. Just because his father doesn't mean anything. Matter of fact, it's specifics in the Torah. So someone that said, no. Come on, it's a, uh, just a father, it's just a mother. It's not a, uh, it's not such a big deal. It's not such a big deal. Someone that makes it, minimizes it. Or perhaps even says, oh, you know what? In the Torah it says, talks about something, let's say, incest. And instead of telling the guys, talking about incest, says, no, no, it's just talking about, don't see your parents naked. Like, well, no, it says incest, incest. You need to know what that is. Don't minimize what it says in the Torah. You're not allowed to change the Torah. It says a person like that, we silence him. Meaning, he's not allowed to talk ever again. Can't talk. 
So, this Gemara in uh, Megillah, page 25a, talks about these different different rulings. Now, one of the mitzvot that we have here is uh, when a person says that uh, there's a, uh, a mitzvah where, for example, shluach ken, where if you see a bird in a nest and she's on her eggs, it's a mitzvah to shoo the mother bird and take the eggs. It's a mitzvah. Now, the mitzvah has many, many explanations, but... The point is, it's very hard for a human being to really understand. Because it seems somewhat vicious. So if someone understands the will of Hashem, they understand that the will of Hashem is, do what He says. That's the will of Hashem. Do what He says. It doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. It really doesn't make a difference whether you understand why Hashem says you have to pray in the morning, afternoon, and at night. It doesn't really make a difference why Hashem says you have to eat kosher. It really doesn't make a difference why Hashem says you have to keep Shabbat. Or you have to keep family purity. It doesn't make a difference. He said it, do it. It doesn't make a difference. He's not like a politician or king of of flesh and blood where you really want to rationalize things. Do I agree with him? Do I disagree with him? Because even if the president of the country you live in says, do this, you'll do it. Why? Because you don't want to get in trouble. So if the king of all kings says something, who are you to ask any questions? Who are you to ask any questions? He says something, do it. It doesn't really, in reality, it doesn't make a difference why Hashem says to do something. If he says it, do it. So last night, I was in the shiur, we finished the shiur maybe at 12 o'clock, but I only left at 2. We finished the shiur at 12, but we left the Breslov Center at 2. Why? There's a couple of young cute kids, yeshiva boys, they stayed after them both and they had some questions for me. I wish it was on tape. It was better than the shiul. They asked some good questions. And I wanted to show, I asked, answered some questions they had. And one of the kids says, can you show it to me? It's Now it's, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning at this point. I just spoke for three hours. The kid's 15, 16 years old. And he asked me a question about where does it say... Uh, um, that we have the oral Torah, oral Torah in the Torah, in the written Torah. It's multiple places, no less than a half a dozen places. It says it. I told him it says it here. It says he goes, "Can you show it to me? Can you show it to me?" And I really wanted to go home. It's one o'clock. I just spoke for three hours. I answered you guys for another hour. A few other people had some questions. I answered them. I'm tired. It's not such an easy day after all. I mean, I only sleep for a couple hours. I'm not Superman. I didn't get crown crown of Torah yet. I'm not. Uh, I don't see. I don't go to Kodesh. So I'm tired, and I really wanted to go. I'm thinking to myself. I'm gonna. Come on, I'll show it to you next. I'm thinking to myself. I haven't answered the kid yet. This all happens. This entire thing happened in five seconds. I'm thinking to myself. I'm so tired right now. I want to go home. I know that a couple of the guys still want to talk to me for another few minutes. I really just want to go home. Put the video online. Send it to my guys. They work on a thing. Again, you know, maybe learn a little Torah before I go to sleep if I have some energy. And get some sleep, for heaven's sake. I mean, I'm still human. 
tired. And I want to go. I'm thinking, I'm battling myself. I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And then I look at the kid. And he's like 15, 16 years old. And I see in his eyes, he really wants to know the answer. Even though he goes to yeshiva, apparently he didn't learn this. They don't necessarily teach proofs in yeshivot. They teach laws. They teach things you need to do. But they don't necessarily teach Torah proofs to show you that the Torah is a valid divine document. They don't show you that in, in, in yeshiva. That's something else. You want to learn it, you learn it on your own. And I really saw that he had some doubts, even though he's in yeshiva, religious, his whole life. He had some doubts. He, wanted some, he really wanted answers. And his friend also, they wanted some answers. I'm so tired. I'm thinking to myself, how tired? All of a sudden, I'm only thinking about how tired I am. I never really think about getting tired, but now the kid's asking me a question, and all I can think about is all of a sudden, I'm, I'm the most tired person on planet Earth. I'm thinking about my bed. I don't even like to sleep that much. Once I'm sleeping, I want to sleep forever. But before I go to sleep, I don't ever want to go to sleep. I want to go till forever. But now all of a sudden, I'm just thinking about my bed, my pillow. Wow, it's fluffy. And I'm going to sleep. And I'm thinking I'm going to see my little kid before I go home. I'm like, wow, wow. I'm thinking about this whole, this five seconds. Yetzirah showed me a visual. Yetzirah showed Am Yisrael the, the uh, funeral of Moshe Rabbeinu in Al Sinai. pretended like Moshe Rabbeinu died. To me, he showed me my bed. Le'avdil. He showed me my bed. He showed me my bed. You're going to go to sleep. Comfy. Who cares about comfy? I don't care about comfy. I sleep a couple hours. Why sleep? All of a sudden, I'm thinking about my bed. I'm so tired. I see this kid. So I say to myself, you know what? If I was him, if I was this 15-year-old kid, I really would want to know. And maybe this is the difference. Maybe this is the thing that's going to make this kid Go right or left. Maybe this is the thing. It's either going to go right, it's going to become, say, oh, you know what? From now, I know for sure Torah is divine. Even though he's been to a bunch of my classes, maybe this is a question he's always had. Who knows? I know the Torah is divine. Tomorrow he goes to school refreshed. He's got a new spirit in him. He's got a new revived neshama. He wants to be Moshe Rabbeinu. He wants to be Rav Kanievsky. He wants to be... Why? Because now he knows it's true. Or, I say I'm too tired. I'll show it to you next time. The kid, in his mind, says, ah, he doesn't know. He doesn't know this rabbi. I asked this rabbi, I asked that rabbi, I asked that rabbi. All of them told me next time. So he's another guy that told me next time. Which really, in the kid's mind, the Yetzirah tells him, ah, no one knows. No one knows the truth. The truth probably is, it doesn't say it. It doesn't say it. It's not real. Next thing you know, Bar Minan, the kid lives yeshiva. He doesn't want to be there anymore. That's what you... So I said to myself, hold on one second. I, I, I already packed everything. The bag was closed. Everything was packed. In the car, everything. Take the stuff out. Give me the books. Come. You, you, come sit down. We sit down for another hour and a half. Hour and a half, I'm sitting with these two kids here. Pasha this, Pasha this. What other question you have? Ta, 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 ta. We sit for another hour and a half. We're sitting there, I'm showing them proof, whatever you want. You have enough, until they have no more questions. They have no more questions. Okay, Laila Tov. Now I'm going to go to sleep fine. Why? I know. You, have, you, you went home fine. You have your answers. Baruch Hashem. I did my job. Why? Worried about a good name. Worried about a good name. Chas Shalom. The guy gets the Shemaim and says, How come you didn't keep me spot? 
Oh, I went to Shul Torah. He didn't show me the answers. He was tired. He wanted to go to sleep. Shem Rachem. They're going to show me, bring me up to Shammai. He says, oh, how was your bed? How was your bed? Did you have a nice sleep? This guy left Yeshiva because of you. Imagine. So now, someone, so going back to the to the to this mitzvah, the mitzvah of Shlocha Ken, you can't minimize it. There's a mitzvah, you have to shoo the bird away. You don't necessarily have to understand why Hashem said it. Now, some people try to minimize it. Meaning, they say, no, Hashem is trying to really, He made this entire mitzvah because He wants to teach us mercy. He wants to teach us mercy. He wants to teach us that after you shoo the bird away and you take away its babies, its eggs, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel bad about it. So Hashem wants to teach you mercy. So the Gemara says, someone says such a thing, we quiet him too. Why? He's minimizing the significance of the mitzvot. He thinks that Hashem needs to give us a reason for why He gave us the mitzvot. He's comparing Hashem to a king of flesh and blood. Hashem doesn't have to give you a reason of why He gave you the mitzvot. So then the Rambam, the Ramban says in commentary, he says, Hashem gave us this mitzvah, not because of his compassion for these creatures, to instill uh, the trait of mercy in us, but, but, that's not the only thing we teach. What do we teach? You can't just finish there. What do we teach? We teach... That the reason why Hashem placed all of these mitzvot on us is because of His own will. Simply because He wanted to. It's His own logic. It's His own divine logic. And the fact that you don't understand it is irrelevant. You still have to do it. By you doing the mitzvah without understanding it shows you have Yirat Shamayim. Why? Because it shows you're submitting to Him even though it doesn't make sense to you. That's Yirat Shemaim. That's Yirat Shemaim. If everything has to make sense to you and that's the only way you're going to do it, you're far, far away from Yirat Shemaim. You're far, far away from having fear of the Almighty. Why? Because if you really had fear of the Almighty, you wouldn't even ask why. You wouldn't ask why is a Shabbat, kosher, why this, why that. You're... Maybe you ask why Donald Trump passed certain laws. Maybe you ask, maybe you ask why they even voted for Obama. Maybe you ask why uh, George Bush even got out of college. Maybe you ask, that's flesh and blood. You don't ask why to the king of kings. If you really believe in the king of kings, you don't ask why. So if you're asking why, that means you have no Yerat Shammai. If you're doing without understanding, so you have Yerat Shammai. doesn't mean you don't have to understand. If you can understand, understand but you still have to do regardless. You still have to do regardless. So here is where we learn, how do I get to this Shem Tov? How do I get the Shem Tov? How do I get this good name? Tov Shem, Mishem and Tov. What's this good name that's better than money? That Shlomo HaMelech, the wise of all men said, he says, Yirat Shemaim. Yirat Shemaim. Yirat Shemaim, You want to have a good name that's going to be an addition to whatever crown you have, you have a crown of the king, you have a good crown of king with Shem Tov. You have a crown of a priest, you have a good crown. You want a crown of Torah that all of us can get, you have a good crown. How? Add some Yirat Shamayim to it. Add some Yirat Shamayim to it, 
That's all you need. That's all you need. Then you can be like Avraham Avinu. Why? Avraham Avinu, they added a hate to his name. Sarai Menu, they added a hate to his name. What's the hey? Hey represents Hashem. Once Hashem says, you fear me, that was it. That, that became the good name of Avraham. You're not allowed to say, other than reading from scripture, you're not allowed to call Avraham, Avram. You're not allowed to. Why? Because Avram wasn't the good name. The good name is Avraham. That's the good name. That's the name that has Yirat Shemaim in it. And that's why next week we're going to learn in the parasha, in Akedat Yitzchak. In Akedat Yitzchak, Hashem says, stop, don't hurt the, uh, the lad, don't hurt the young guy, your, your son. Why? Now I know you fear me. Now I know you fear me. Now I know you have Yirat Shemaim. So when Hashem says, He created the entire world, in the Gemara, Shabbat, says, He created the entire world for what? For you to have Yirat Shemaim. It's the only reason. So that's how we get all of these crowns to get to their full potential. So we can't necessarily all be a king of uh, Am Yisrael. We can't all necessarily be Kohanim. We can't all necessarily be all of these other things. But we can, we can have a good name. We can have a good name. Each one of us, men, women, everyone can have a good name. How? You got your mind. Any questions? Heads of Sanhedrin? Yeah, the two. Oshmaya Naftalion. This is in the Gemara, Masechet Yoma, page 71b. The Kohen Gadol was insulted the two heads of the Sanhedrin, Shmaya Naftalion, uh, and uh, they uh, said the following Let welcome be extended to the descendants of the heathens who act the way Aaron acted, and let there be no welcome to the descendants of Aaron who do not act as Aaron acted. So in essence, what they're trying to tell him is that even though our parents weren't exactly tzaddikim, they could potentially have been idol worshippers, we are going to be welcomed. Why? Because we follow the ways of Aaron. Aaron chased peace. So we follow the ways. You on the other hand, that you are the descendant of Aaron, no one's going to welcome you. Why? Because you yourself, even though you're a descendant of Aaron, you're not following the ways of Aaron. You're not following the ways of Aaron, no one's going to welcome you. You're not chasing peace. That's in the Gemara, Masechet Yomah, page 71. I also answered your uh, question on Shmuel. And Hanukkah, we're going to go over, when we get closer to it, get closer to it. But also, you should know that the, uh, one thing about Hanukkah, you have the Maccabees, you have, uh, that earned themselves a significant name for their battle, for fighting for, for Hashem, Mila Hashem Eli, they said, whoever's for Hashem is for us. They fought for Hashem. All of the winners in history have always fought for Hashem. Anyone that fought for their own ego, their own name, their own this, in the end they lost everything. And that's the thing, people lose out, mamash, their entire lives for just because they're trying to just defend themselves. They're trying to defend their own thing. They're trying to defend their pocket. They're trying to make more money. They're trying to, you know, do a lot of things for the wrong reasons. People must ruin relationships for stupid reasons. Um, and in the reality is people worried about the, the good name that they're supposed to have, uh, none of this will happen. And the only way you can have a good name is if you see it and understand 
that there's a God above you. The only way you're going to worry about a good name, the only way you're going to worry about your name is if you realize that there's someone watching you. If you don't think anyone's watching you, then what do you care? But if you realize someone's watching you at all times, you're going to worry about what does he think. You're not worried about necessarily, oh, what are they going to say about me? You're worried about what is he going to say about you? What's your name in Shemaim? What's your name in Shemaim? So that's the thing, that people just let things go. And they worry about the wrong things. And they don't care about certain relationships they have. They don't care about people that help them in their life. They don't care about all those things. They just worry about themselves. I had sometimes, I had, I had several relationships like this. Former employees that I had in my business, in the, in, the, in the stock market business, despite how much I helped them, despite how much I gave them, despite everything, as soon as they thought that someone was giving them a little bit more, many of them left me. I had one time, I had one week, one week, some company poached my employees. I lost 14 guys in one week. 14 guys in one week. All guys that I helped them. All guys that came from nothing. They all had something. All of them left in one week. All of them left in one week. Why? Because the other guy was paying them, I don't know, 10% more or some nonsense. I had one guy that was supposedly my best friend. We started in a business at the same time. He went his way. I went my way. I became successful. He stayed non-successful, I brought him on, I told him, I taught him, you know, some tricks to the business of how to become successful, he started making some money, and then he said, no, no, I think I'm going to make an extra 5% more, no, an extra 10% more somewhere else, he left me, fine, a couple of years passed, I became even more successful, and this guy came around again, this guy Vinny, came around again, he says, listen, I did some things, but, you know, you got to a different league. I want to work for you again. Okay, I'll work for you again. I'm almost like a, like a fool. No problem. Come work for me again. Vinny comes. We're befriending again. He's got a good energy. I'm thinking that, you know, maybe I'll motivate the guys. Maybe this, maybe that. Da, 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 da. Six, eight months later, he's all of a sudden making more money than he ever did in his life. One of his old friends calls him, says he's going to pay him 5% more. 5% more he's going to pay him. He leaves with no notice, nothing. No questions asked, all of the friendship, all of the this, all of the that. Goes in the garbage. The stupidest thing, the stupidest thing that a person can do in general is... How do I say this in a non... you know? Is, uh, I guess, betray me, screw me eh, for money. Stupidest thing. And the reason why is because I don't care about money. It's mamas less than paper for me. Paper is at least worth something. You can write on it. I never valued money. So if someone really wants something and they deserve it, I'll give it to them. I don't care about it. There's plenty of times throughout my career that I gave people what they don't deserve. Simply because I like them. Oh, you didn't work for a month? I'll give you pay anyway. Why? I like you. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're a nice guy. I just like you. I feel like it. That's it. Because simple. There's no. I don't need any other reasons. I don't need them to ask me. I don't need to know if they have problems. I don't need to know. I don't care. I like you. I'll give you. That's the way I've always been in business. So the, the funny thing is that the times I've always been, I've had issues with people, is because for some reason or another, whatever I gave them, they want even more. 
So that's what the Gemara says. You give 100, they want 200. You give 200, they want 400. The funny thing is, if they would have simply just asked and give me a justifiable reason of why I should, I'd just give it to them. So I had these three guys that came from nothing. One guy was the first employee I had. One guy was a guy I grew up with. And one guy was another guy that grew up in a neighborhood. And all three of these guys, Mamash, had nothing. They came to me. Oh, Hashem, after some time, they, uh, you know, I, they took them a while to become successful because they were messing around for a while. But anyway, one day after I got really sick, I, uh, I couldn't really handle most of my business. So I gave them a big part of the business and I was planning on giving them even more. So one day I just came out of a surgery and uh, these guys, uh, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm, I, even though I showed up to the office, it was really more to just show face. But I was losing money. I was in a lot of pain. I wanted to die. It was the worst, worst part of my life. These three heroes that used to be my friends show up in my office and corner me pretty much demanding, demanding, not asking, demanding that I give them 80% payout. Meaning they want a, uh, I don't know, a 50% raise overnight, or 70% raise, whatever it was. But on top of the fact that they don't care if I'm going to lose money on them. And they don't care about the fact that I'm giving them all the business they have. It's my business, really. So it's not only that you want more, but you want more of my stuff. It's like, I just you don't have any food. I have a steak. I gave you half my steak. And you know, no, no, no. I want three quarters of the steak. But it's my steak. See, thank you. I gave you half the steak. So this ended up becoming a big, disgusting battle. Um, but it was all for money. It's all for money. And people are fools. When it comes to money, they're willing to destroy relationships. They're willing to betray people. They're willing to do a lot of really terrible things. For what? For green. For nothing. For stuff that you can't take with you. For stuff you can't take with you. And it's, it's mama, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's why the Rambam specifically says, if you're still chasing money, you have no chance. doesn't matter. You could study from morning to night. You could study from here till next year. You could study in Olam Abba. You could study in Olam Azim. You'll never get crown of Torah. Never. Why? As long as you want more money, you have a desire for money, you cannot earn you cannot earn the crown of Torah because there's no room for two desires. There's no room for Torah and money. Hashem may give you money, but not because you desired it. That's why Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi Akados, that wrote the Mishnah, he was very, very rich. Very, very rich. Had hundreds of horses. I mean, he owned uh, cities. Very, very rich. At the end of his life, he says to Hashem, and people were witnessing there, Says to Hashem, Hashem, you know, you gave me all this. I didn't enjoy this world even enough to suffice my pinky. Nothing. All the stuff you gave me, I gave to other people. All the wealth you gave me, I didn't enjoy any of it. Why learn Torah all day? Learn Torah, teach Torah. You know what I mean? Money means nothing to you if you want Torah. So a lot of people that are chasing, they say, no, no, I want to be a Tamit Chacham, I want to be Tamit Chacham, but I have a business on the side. Okay, you can have a business on the side, but if the business is the priority, if you're worried about the business... More than you learn of the Torah, the Torah is not going to be a crown. Maybe you'll have Torah. Maybe you'll be a decent Jew. Not going to have a crown of Torah. Not going to have a crown of Torah. So that's why 
It's very important for people to know that a good name is worth more than all of it. Why? Because once you're worried about a good name, your Torah is going to be kosher. Your priesthood is going to be kosher. Your kingdom is going to be kosher. Your business is going to be kosher. Your marriage is going to be kosher. Your kids are going to... Everything's going to be kosher. Once you worry about having a good name, what's a good name? He thinks you have a good name. Not just people think you're a nice guy. It's not, it's not a popularity contest. A good name means Hashem thinks you have a good name. You have a good name with Him. If you have a good name with Him, you'll have a good name here. You have a bad name with Him, it doesn't make a difference what happens here. Amen ve'amen.